Moncrief on News Talk. It is indeed uh, time for our parenting slot. Joanna Fortune joins us uh, once again. Afternoon, Joanna. Afternoon, Sean. Uh, right, here's your first question. My four-year-old is very funny, kind and smart, but he gets really frustrated if he doesn't win. We also have an 18-month-old boy and his older cousins and neighbours are regularly at our house as well, all aged between five and eight. It isn't really an issue with his little brother yet, but if he's playing games with his cousins, he gets distraught if he doesn't win. For example, if they are racing and his cousins beat him, he will start crying, saying, I wanted to be the winner, and he needs a lot of consoling to start playing again. I'll tell him his cousins are older and have longer legs, and that's why they can run faster, but it doesn't help. Sometimes they'll let him win so he'll stop being upset, but I want him to know it's okay not to win every time, and that he doesn't have to be the best at everything. Is there anything I can do to help him with this? I mean, my main answer is time and patience because mm. he's four. And of course, it's not an issue with the 18-month-old who hasn't yet decided to be a competitor, you yes. know, but that's coming. <laughs> yeah. And the five and eight-year-old, it's that desire to keep up and match them, which of course he can't do. So it's this constant effort, but not achieving outcome sensation for him. So it's frustration that you're mm. getting and it's disappointment. And it's all of these big feelings that he's so ill-equipped at four to deal with in any other way. Now, with the winning and losing in general, okay, there's a foreness to it and then there's a sort of general aspect to it. I would say kids would typically grow into a tolerance or an acceptance of winning and losing. I mean, I don't know that anyone ever really embraces losing. losing yeah, you know, it yeah. always comes with a feeling of deflation and, oh, and mm. I wish it was different. It's about being able to master that experience and handle the feeling rather than get rid of it. And he's too immature for that. Yeah. So kids will typically grow into it. Okay, and I would be saying to you, um, tip entering school is a big one for this. You know, I'm just thinking, when do they grow into it? You'll see it because they have to negotiate a lot more with similar age peers, winning, losing, turn taking, mm. task completion, moving from one thing to another, doing something they don't particularly like to do. All of that experientially helps them to move into it. I won't win everything. I won't like everything. Yeah. Everything doesn't go my way. Because the whole thing with the older cousins who are doing a kindness, both to themselves and him, I would say, by just, oh, just let him win so we can get on with this. I don't think it's total kindness. I think some of it is, let's just move this along. It in and of itself is not an answer. Because if everyone always lets him win, then he doesn't get to learn to yes. master those yeah. feelings. So you want to model for him winning gracefully in games yourself. And I would be playing, like he's four, games like Snakes and Ladders. There's an inherent chance of winning and losing without any kind of strategy. It's the roll yeah. of the dice. Yeah. And you could be winning, 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 losing. Yeah. You know, So there's highs and lows in it. Those kinds of games are good. But I would also be playing a lot of activities with him where winning or losing isn't actually part of the activity. So that could be simply, you know, doing funny faces, animal walks. We've done red light, green light here. We've done keep the balloon up. Mm, Things yeah. that are, you know, just about participating. And I would take some activities that have a winning and losing and reframe them like tug of war at that age. So instead of who's winning, it's pulling each other in for a cuddle. Yeah. You either are pulled into him for a cuddle or him into you. So it's not about who won. It's always about the cuddle. And then you can gradually grow the play up as his capacity for acceptance and tolerance grows with it. Obviously, focus on effort over outcome. And that's in general, to be honest with you. But this is developmentally normal for children this age. 
to make up their own rules in games. I mean, anyone who's ever parented a four-year-old will know that you're in a game and they suddenly go, no, that's not how it works. There's a new rule. And you go, when did that happen? (laughs) And the answer, Yeah, exactly. Because they orchestrate the desired outcome. That's developmentally normal for four. Mm. So it's difficult for five and eight-year-olds to accept and tolerate it because they're used to playing in a different way. But it's quite typical for him. So just support him with it. And what he really needs support with, Sean, I think, is the feelings around losing rather than the losing. Yeah. You know, it's helping him to understand and be able to cope with feelings of disappointment. And you could also do a thing instead of saying let him win or, you know, tolerating the other kids letting him win, you could say, do you know what? I don't think he needs to win. I think he needs a play break. Let's take a play break. Yeah. And take him off with you five, ten minutes, just kind of settle him, ground him. And then he has the choice to return to the play. But the play hasn't changed. If it's too much for him, he takes a break. If he gets upset when he doesn't win, should you say... You're really upset now because yeah, it's hard not yeah, to win. Yeah, it's hard not to win. You, should, you could empathise Ab- with that. Absolutely, yeah. but you don't then say, so we'll make it that you win. Yeah. Because yeah. you have a right to be happy all the time. That's yeah. not how it works. And while it's easy to do that for a four-year-old, the longer you do it, the harder it is to undo it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter is 10 and has hit puberty much earlier than any of her classmates. She has started having periods. And while she's become used to having her periods, the idea of wearing a bra is a huge no. I need to buy her a bra, but won't inter- uh, she won't entertain the idea. She's very embarrassed. None of the girls in her class are wearing bras. Any advice as to how to, pro- uh, to progress? This is so interesting. I hear this question so much more. Puberty is happening yeah, younger earlier. and younger. Yeah. So the fact that she's the only girl in the class, I, I'm quite surprised. But, you know, and it's funny because I, you know, with um, Judy Bloom's old book, Are You There, God, It's Me, mm. Margaret, Coming to Cinemas. I actually reread it last week. Now, the last time I read that book, I was probably not much older than this child. I was probably about 11. And I re- I remember the book and everything in it and the themes being huge, really big deals. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. And this is such a, a big thing. And I reread it in an hour over a cup of coffee as an adult going, <laughs> this book is so small. Everything in it is so small. So it is about validating her perspective. First of all, a book like that can be a playful way to engage with it mm. because you could read it, she could read it, and you could use the book as the thing you talk about how The book is based in the 70s. A lot has changed and at the same time, not a lot has changed. So there is relevance there as well. But you could be playful with that going, gosh, that was then. And I remember at your age going for my first bra fitting or whatever it is and make it personable. And I think, you know, what you want to do is reframe it. The language is important. If you say to somebody, you need a bra, Mm. all of a sudden that's like, I don't need it. I don't want it. I get resistance. If it's more about, you know, I was your age when I had my first bra, you know, why don't you and I go make a girl's day out of it? We'll go to the shop, pick out something that you like, let her choose colours, designs, as opposed to you bringing something home and going, here's one I got you. Yes. Because you need it. Make her part of that process. Now, equally, you might go, look, I've tried that. And she was like, absolutely not. Couldn't imagine anything worse. If that's the case and the embarrassment is at that level, the difference we have now than the are you there, God, it's me, Margaret time, is that you can go online. You could sit yes, with her in course, the privacy yeah. at home, let her look, let her see the designs, demystify it all, let her see what it's about, pick some, either order them online or once she's made selections, go to the shop and do a very quick job of just mm. simply collecting what she has selected online. If she needs a fitting, I'm thinking she might need to go to the shop yeah. the first time. But I also think don't dismiss her embarrassment because do you know what? Bodies are embarrassing. 
Yeah. And changing bodies are super embarrassing. And being the first one of your peer group whose body changes is really embarrassing. So I think you have to come at that with acceptance and empathy and say to her, yeah, you're embarrassed. This is embarrassing. And there are ways I can make it less embarrassing for you and that we can work through it. But you just give me a cue of this is too. If we're in the shop and you're like, oh, my goodness, this is overwhelming. This is too mm. much for me. We'll have a signal. We'll take a break. I'll have an idea of what you need and I can sort it for you. Yeah, it seems, but it seems like it's the idea of wearing a bra that's freaking out the tension. Yeah, and I think and also... Because presumably all the peers will... Cop that and very see it. Quickly, and I yes. think that's the difference with, you know, she's become used to having a period and she's young for a mm. period as well. Mm. But at least there's something of that that she can conceal and there's a privacy whereas a bra is there. It's obvious. It's overt. And I think talk to her about styles because there are styles of bra that are more form fitting or vest like that she that might be appropriate yes, for her yeah, at this stage yeah. and that she can get something you know a neutral color so it doesn't stand out other kids will want something in neon pink by the way so you mm. know what works for one <laughs> won't for another but i think it is about just acknowledging it is embarrassing and yeah, you're probably thinking your friends will notice this and that they'll have thoughts and opinions but maybe they're just curious Maybe that it's not that they're going, ooh, but they're going, ooh, Mm. and reframe it, play with it and just gently move her along. But these are things that we can't exactly fight for long. No. You know, there is a biological aspect to this. You can't say, oh, you're not ready. Well, let's ignore it. It's you're not ready. That means you're going to need extra help and support from Mm. me to get through it. The, uh, and is it because I suppose it's one of those anecdotal things that everyone takes as fact now that that, that young girls are younger and younger mm. when they uh, hit puberty. Is is there anything to that? I mean, I, I don't, I, I suppose from an endocrinology kind of point mm. of view, I'm not sure. I do think, you know, we are hearing and certainly in my own work, which is an anecdotal answer for you, I would be hearing a lot more from parents with this exact question yeah. and issues related to this. And, you know, speaking with, I work a lot with teenagers as well who will reflect on entering puberty and what that was like. And some of them have been nine years old. Right. And it's really hard, Sean, you know, thinking about this, that at nine years old, you're still doing your swim lessons and your GAA and your dance lessons. And the clothing available to you at that time is very child oriented, but your body is developing in a way that your emotional maturity isn't quite there yet. Uh, yeah, I was going to say it's it's almost yeah. cruelty cycle. You know, another Absolutely. couple of years, two or three years, you're kind of more... World of difference. Yeah. It really would be a world of difference. But when you're nine and ten, you just want to be nine and ten. And that mm. involves a lot of play, a lot of physical activity. And all of a sudden, your body's fighting with you on that. And you're suddenly becoming extremely body aware when you're doing something like swimming, for example, and you're the one who has breasts and no one else does. Yeah. Crikey. I have twin boys aged eight. One is very chatty and and, and outgoing. The other one is very quiet and not a good social mixer. Uh, They're both in the same school, but not in the same class, as the principal felt it would be better for their confidence and independence to separate them. He has come home crying a lot throughout the year, uh, and I can't help feeling that if the two boys were in the same class, they would look after each other. There's no bullying happening, but because he is not comfortable mixing, the other children don't include him in their games or invite him on play dates. Do you think I'm in my rights to request the two boys be placed in the same class? 
I mean, the in my rights thing is just, please tell me I'm allowed to do the thing I really, yeah, really, really I want, want to do. do yeah. The fact that you really want to do it is enough. OK, yeah. so I think the first thing I'd have to advise you is to have a meeting with the class teacher of the little boy who's struggling. Explain your concerns. They may well align with the teacher's observations and own concerns and reflect with the teacher. You know, this is a struggle he's having in school. It is not a struggle we observe him having at home or outside school. And the difference is he's with his brother mm, in those other yeah. places. And I think as well that go with your parental instinct that it is to have them together. And given you've tried out their age, what is that about first, second class age? Yeah. So you've tried out a number of years with the school suggestion of separating them. Now maybe it's worth trying a year or two of keeping them together and seeing how does that affect not only your little boy who's struggling, but your other little boy who's actually settled quite well, you know, because you, you have to meet both children's interests. The, the point on this, like some twins, you know, can work independently of each other in the mm. same class. Mm. You know, they're in the same yeah. class. They have their own little thing going on, their own world. And there's a lot of benefits from a, pr- a parenting point of view. You've one, you've one teacher to communicate with. You've one parent WhatsApp group to be in. Yes, that's You've true, one yes. set of play dates and birthday parties yeah. to negotiate. There is a streamlining, okay? And that's not nothing mm. in school. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's also part yeah. of the experience. But for other twin sets, separation offers an opportunity to develop their own friendships, their own identity. You know, they're not the twins. Yeah, they're they're yeah. their own people. And separation anxiety, though, I do want to flag, can be more common in twins. Okay, so... There isn't a clear cut answer, yes, is what I'm of saying. Course, yeah. Now, I will kind of qualify that with saying you're in a school that has two classes. And so this is possible. If you were in a school that had one first or second class, your twins would be together. Yes. And no, nobody would be saying to you it would be better for them to be separated mm. because it's not an option. Yeah. They're only separated because it's an option to do so. So I would think there is just as much valid reason to keep them together. Yeah. I wonder, though, and we're speculating now, but yeah. might it make things worse in, in, in that, the, you know, the the the, uh, the shy twin, if, if you like, then becomes too dependent on the outgoing twin for mm. all their social interactions. And the outgoing twin might go, oh, God, now I have to, you know, I have a job now. And that's why you talk to the teacher and why I said, you know, you need to ma- match up both children's needs. Mm. Because if your child who you identify as more outgoing and confident if he's thriving in his yeah. own classroom, you don't want to deny him that. But if he's doing well there because he does well everywhere, then it won't make a big difference yes, to him. Yeah, and yeah. the twins are together all the time, not in school. Like there is a dyadic relationship here all the time. You know, they're the same age. They're in the same house. They have the same peer group. They've this. You know, there's a lot of sameness that does go on and that's part of their relationship dynamic. You don't want to, I mean, codependency is one of those things that kids will grow up and out of as well, by the way. It's okay mm. to depend on each other. Yeah, and why do people always say I codependency know, is a bad thing? You know, you know? There, is a, there is a pro-social <laughs> yeah. aspect to codependency. You don't want it to be something that without it, I don't cope anywhere. Yeah. But it's okay for them to like being with each other. I mean, yeah. 
yeah. we often get letters from parents when their siblings are killing each other at home. If these two are good friends, they are compatible, they co-regulate each other. These are young kids mm. and they'll have plenty of time. It might be something as a parent you invest in outside of school with experimenting with slightly different hobby activities where they do get to experience some degree of separation and independent identity. But by the way, I don't want to suggest that just because they're twins in the same class means they'll be stuck to each other like glue. That's true. You know, yeah. there's a couple yeah. of sets of twins in my own child's class and I would never think of them as the twins because yes. they're just kids in the group, you know. So they will equally play in the class group with other kids in the class group. It doesn't mean that they'll always be together. My youngest child, four years since October, is having some sort of sensory issue, I think. Any pair of shoes we put on him is causing massive distress and sometimes jumpers and trousers too. He says they're uncomfy or hurting him. We have tried hundreds of different shoes, clothes, etc. It's got so bad lately that he doesn't want to go out. As he knows, he'll have to put shoes on. We used to be able to distract him and once he was out, he didn't notice anymore. But that's not working. And he's constantly trying to adjust the shoes or take them off. I don't know what to do to help him. Mm. Ah, little guy, that's hard, isn't it? I mean, imagine wearing the most itchy, uncomfortable, knitted by your grandmother jumper and you have to wear it all day and your skin is crawling. Yeah. Like, imagine that sensation and apply it to a four-year-old who's like, no, I don't have any coping strategies for this. Um, So the the jumpers and the trousers, first of all, let's uh, look at the outside bits and then what's going on on the inside. I mean, there is an Irish brand, um, a very sensory-friendly brand and they identify as that Sully and Juno, sullyandjuno.ie, that do a range of jumpers, sweatshirts, clothing mm. that is seamless, tagless, you know, is very sensory friendly material. So you can look at, and I'm sure there are others who do that. That's just one I'm aware of. But, you know, so there are brands out there. There are, you know, department stores that have ranges. Yeah. Uh, so this is something you can address in that way. Um, it's also in terms of the shoes, though, about finding a single pair that works and buying many pairs of it. Okay. Right. Okay. And I really do think it's tra- you've done so many pairs. You're saying you've tried on hundreds of shoes. I can't even imagine. Mm. Um, again, I, I know um, of a, a young kid who wore Crocs for three years. Crocs with socks, Crocs without socks. So it was seasonal Crocs yeah. all year yeah. round. And you can get fleecy lined ones because they were something he could tolerate. Yeah. Okay. And within that, we did a little piece about putting on I don't know, a different pair of shoes and setting a little timer. And it was a challenge going, can you keep them on until bing off now? And every time just gradually extending that window of tolerance around them to see if you got from five minutes up to half an hour to, you know, extending it up and building up a tolerance of it going, I don't like the feeling, but I can tolerate it gradually. Some kids cannot. So you've got that. Also, the the you know the runner brand Vans? Yes. They do. They had a whole publicity thing about Vans um, by autism friendly. Mm. So they have a pair of shoes that is very considered around sensory awareness. And that's also, again, if that works and you get a pair and you get a couple of pairs and he'll wear them, get a pair in black for school or, a pair, you know, mm. make it work. I would try not to make this the biggest battle. You must wear these lace-up shoes yeah, or yeah. you must wear these uncomfortable things because you're driving him into sensory overload all the time, which is going to affect 
everything else, including his overt behaviour. So just try and find a sweet spot with that as best you can and lots of barefoot time at home. Okay, give him a reprieve from it. I would suggest um, if you haven't spoken to your public health nurse, he's four years old, maybe doing so and asking for a referral to an occupational therapist who might be able to do a sensory profile assessment and just see, are there some things that you can increase your awareness of and changes that you can make that actually would make a big difference for him? And I don't just mean about a pair of shoes, Mm. but in terms of just soothing his sensory system. Uh, You know, you might need a little bit more insight into not just that it's difficult, but why is it difficult and what practical strategies or creative strategies could you put in place that would help him to manage that irritation and that overwhelm. Is this kind of analogous to having an allergy? You know, and in the same way, you know, one way of treating an allergy is to expose the person with the allergy to small amounts of it. I and mean, then a little bit, except that with it depends on what the underpinning cause of the sensory aversion mm. is. Like it may not be something he has control over. Oh, yeah. And in which case, even trying to expose him and to build up tolerance, that might be very limited in terms of outcome because he's, his sensory system simply cannot do it. And so it is about going, well, let's find another way around this, that these shoes that I can pick up anywhere easily are not going to be an option for us. Mm. And I'm going to need to approach it in a different way. So it's about getting curious about what's underpinning his sensory aversion. Some of, like many of us have sensory aversion, Sean, and we don't think of them. Like some of us don't like high-pitched noises, the idea yeah, of nails yeah. on a chalkboard. You know, some of us have the, ooh, I don't, ooh, I mm. can't bear that. Or textures around food or even certain, I mentioned the woolly jumper idea. You know, some of us have sensory, many of us, I would say, have some degree of sensory aversion and it isn't a sensory diagnosis that we have. And we've learned adaptive strategies to either build up tolerance or avoid that thing that we don't like. You know, so this is a little four-year-old who doesn't have that capacity. We don't know how significant his sensory struggle is, but he's communicating very clearly, to be fair to him, that there are certain things I cannot tolerate on my body and it makes me very uncomfortable. And that agitation makes me irritable. And that irritation makes me a less than ideal child to have to deal with. But there's a reason. Yeah, <laughs> indeed there is. Joanna, thanks a million. Thank Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.